Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. It ain't over till it's over. Yep, that's right. We're here in the last few days of November. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving, by the way. I know I sure did. But we are here in the end, the 11th hour of November. And it really is sweet November. And I think a lot of times people in their minds think it's sweet half of November. But in reality, I've been seeing bucks three out of the last four days three big mature bucks like anyone listening to this you would have been uh like having trouble holding it together if you were in the stand when this thing walked by three separate mature bucks out cruising looking for does Uh, a couple of them i actually saw following some does around and um they're just out and about still guys the big ones and uh, i actually heard that mentioned on a recent episode of the wired to hunt podcast a foundations episode with tony peterson one of the uh, other hosts of the podcast now Uh, but wired to hunt is a great resource and uh, if you looked at this title of this episode which i'm sure you did I mean, how could you not? But anyways, uh, if you looked at it, you can see why I'm talking about Wired to Hunt because Alex and I were blessed with the opportunity of getting to have Mark Kenyon, the founder of Wired to Hunt, join us on this 100th episode of the podcast. I sent a message out to Mark, said, hey, Mark, can't think of a better way to ring in episode 100 than to have the guy who taught me more than anyone else about hunting uh, in my hunting journey. That's right. I am a longtime listener of the podcast, and uh, I used to have this, like, uh, almost a 40-minute commute to work each way. And so I listened to a lot of Wired to Hunt through the years and learned so much information on hunting deer uh, just by tuning in and listening to Mark and uh, just have always found Mark to be not only an entertaining host, but like a super smart host. He's a guy who's both a very good teacher and a very good interviewer. There were so many episodes where I just wanted Mark to ask a specific question And then like 20 seconds later, he would ask that specific question. He just knew what his listeners needed to hear. And uh, he, he aligned what he wanted to hear with what his listeners wanted to hear too, which I think is what makes for the best podcast. And uh, Mark was kind enough to uh, get back to me and say, yep, absolutely. Be happy to jump on. And so here he is. You get to enjoy the, uh, the generosity of mark as well now i also want to tell you another thing about mark mark is the author of a probably the best book i've read in a few years honestly and uh that book is that wild country it is a book on the history and really i guess you could say the past present and future of america's public lands and we as hunters should be very much tuned in with what goes on as far as like political decision making goes and uh, funding 
and new laws and so forth that go into our public lands. That is where all of us can look to hunt, not just in our home states, but even all around the country. And it's public lands that make that possible. Mark's book is a great salute to uh, the fact that we have that freedom here in our great country. Well, it is uh, getting to be that holiday time of year. You start thinking about gifts for those that you care about most. Um, A great thing that you could buy for that hunter in your life, maybe another first-gen hunter, maybe somebody who's just starting to get into it. You know, I've had a couple people here in the last couple weeks ask me to look up property boundaries for them, and guess what I went to? Yep, good old Spartan Forge, and uh, you know, Spartan Forge now has a deal where you can get a free subscription, but if you want to get all of the capabilities that that app has as far as the deer behavior prediction as far as all the mapping layers and uh, just every capability that that has then you can purchase either through a monthly subscription which you might be wondering here when you hear the price difference it's $7.99 a month for the monthly subscription or a one-time cost of $39.99 for a year so every year of course you'd renew that you might be thinking wow that's way cheaper to just buy the year yes it is but here's why you might consider doing the subscription maybe you only want spartan forge during hunting season uh, that's something that i've noticed with other uh mapping subscriptions that i've had in the past like man i don't really need this thing for you know probably six out of 12 months of the year i wish i could pay for you know half of it or something like that well spartan forge has met that need i guess you could say so now if you're like me now now i am using this stuff year round because i'm busy using it for shed season i'm uh, scouting for permission on other pieces maybe for turkeys or uh, even looking to other states that i might hunt so it's worth it to me for all the other needs that i have to get the year-long subscription but for you maybe you just need it for a month or two maybe three out of the year spartan forge has your back on that so make sure you go over to uh my profile on instagram if you aren't following me make sure you do uh that would be at first.gen.hunter and go to my link tree and you can get uh signed up with spartan forge that way or you can go to the show notes and find a link there as well well, enough of the pregame banter. Let's get on to Alex and Mai's great conversation that we had celebrating this 100th episode. Thank you all again for being here all along the way. Um, I know content is sometimes a lot, sometimes it's kind of thin. just kind of depends on what's going on here on the home front for me. But just want to say a special thank you to all of you uh, during the season of thankfulness uh, just for all your support through the years for always listening in tuning in messaging me giving me feedback i love it all it's great it's helpful and it's just fun to know that you're in my corner Uh, remember this one thing that i say all the time hunting brings people together and this is one way that you me and and alex and brandon and uh, caleb and jake and now even mark and all the other podcast guests that we've had through these 100 episodes we've all been brought together around this idea of hunting so look for a way to share that with those around you in your life uh, that you think might be interested but let's go ahead get onto it here episode number 100 with meat eater and wired to hunts mark Kenyon. thank you so much for tuning in.
In the very earliest days of my experience hunting, um, I had the same problem that still plagues me now, maybe even more so now, because now I'm, you know, north of 30. Um, I notice when I get home from work a lot, I have to like take like a little 10 or 15 minute nap before I uh, tackle the kids duties, you know, when I get home. And, but one thing that has always been a problem for me when I drive at night is I get super sleepy. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like, you know, you just watch the, you get hypnotized by the little, uh, markings on the road or, uh, you know, I, I, I love to just observe things while I'm driving, which can be dangerous as well. You know, I've nearly ditched a car over a couple of times doing some, uh, road shed hunting, but, but, um, the, the fact remains, I just get super sleepy while I'm driving. And this one particular trip, my brother, Jake and I, we were, we weren't driving together. I think I was getting there on a Friday night and he was getting there, you know, at 3am on a Saturday type deal, but we were going to go out and we were going to hunt my grandparents' farm together. And it was about a, uh, about a two hour drive. And of course, you know, this is after work and everything. It's in the wintertime. So it's dark at like, you know, 430. And uh, so I'm driving in the pitch black. And there's two things I remember about that drive. The first thing I stopped at this gas station in this tiny little town. Uh, you guys might know it being Midwestern guys, uh, good old Casey's, um, nope. uh-huh. <laughs> best donuts, best breakfast pizza. It's probably taken a few years off my life though, but, um, a little bit of money out of my retirement plan. But the, I stop at this Casey's and this guy is, just, he's like over here talking about his blood pressure. And I don't remember the exact value he said, but the first number was a two and it wasn't 20. He was, <laughs> he was talking about his blood pressure. <laughs> I know I was like, I, and I was a science teacher at the time, you know, I teach like uh, human anatomy and physiology and stuff like that. And I'm like, brother, you're about to die, man. You need to, you know, so I remember that and, I, and having this inner, you know, debate with myself, should I tell him, do I need to like help him out? But then the other thing I remember was uh, in my sleepiness. So I stopped there to probably get like a cup of coffee or something in my sleepiness. I was like, I used to always just surf AM radio because I like talk radio. I like uh, music doesn't really keep me awake, um, but a good conversation. Well, good content. I love to learn, love to, to, to pick up new information. But there was like nothing on AM radio. I'm like, man, I am so desperate here. I I just got to stay awake. What can I do? And I, then this word jumped into my mind. So this is, I don't know, probably back in 2015, 2016, something like that. And I was like, podcast. I've heard of these podcast things. What are they? So I knew that every Apple phone came with the, you know, Apple podcast app. So I, I had heard of this podcast on Facebook at the time, a Facebook page I followed, uh, which was wired to hunt. And so I was like, I know they have a podcast. So I looked up wired to hunt and I, I typed in 
shed hunting or either I did that or I just started scanning through all the podcast episodes that are available. And, and of course, Alex shed hunting just jumped out at me. I think that's what happened. And of course it did. You mean to tell me they got, they got people talking about sheds on here. And I'm like, what have I been, what have I been missing out on? And uh, so I tune in and I'm like, no way. The guy's name on here is Joe shed. This is, there's just no way this is real. And so I tune in and for the very first time ever on a podcast i hear the voice of good old dan johnson who's been on the show before uh and a fellow iowan and the guy that we have on the other end of the line today which is mark kenyon and from that moment on i became a weekly devoted listener to wired to hunt and that was perhaps other than you know, the first time I picked up a gun and, and hit the field hunting or I got invited out by a friend from my church who had some hunting experience, did a little mentoring with me. Other than those two things, that first episode of listening to Wired to Hunt was the biggest thing that got me into hunting. I for once had that information that was delivered in a, a way that wasn't overwhelming, you know, like just picking up a magazine or reading a book. It was, it was in bite-sized chunks at a high level, but in a very educational way delivered to me. And uh, so here on this 100th episode, this milestone episode of the First Gen Hunter podcast, the podcast devoted to helping other first gen hunters uh, such as myself, I thought there'd be no one better to see if they'd be able to come on the show to, to celebrate this 100th episode with us by, by giving us some uh, uh, insight than the man himself, Mr. Mark Kenyon. Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. You are welcome, Kent. Uh, glad to be here. And I love that story. I appreciate you sharing that story. And uh, it, it's a great reminder to me um, that, you know, people listen and it, and it yeah. helps folks. And that's, that's uh, helps get me out of bed in the morning and keep me excited about what I do. do. So I am excited to be here. Congratulations on 100 episodes. That is a heck of an accomplishment. Yeah. Thank Woo! you. Thank you very much. Job, yeah. Thanks buddy. And uh, I got, of course, Alex here on the line too, a guy who's been a huge part of that. And, um, uh, I don't know how many episodes Alex has been on now. I'd say at least half of them, but uh, it's been, it's been uh, so, so fun uh, just getting to be a part of the hunting community, which has been the, really the best part of all of this. And uh, yeah, it's, it, it is cool to know that when you do something, it's making a difference and absolutely you are Mark. And, uh, and I, it makes me wonder how many other stories are there out there that are, are, you know, like mine where, uh, you, you'll never even hear about it, you know, because maybe they don't do a podcast or a blog or something like that. But, but, uh, you know, uh, I recently went through a career change. I taught, uh, high school and, um, for my last year, middle school science for eight years. And, uh, one of the, the, probably the best thing about that job was just knowing I was make what I was doing every day was making a difference. And so when I decided to change careers, I now work on a, um, uh, prairie 
grass and prairie flower farm. So I, I uh, raise, raise, uh, yeah, uh, seed for people to put in their CRP mixes or to put in pollinator plots. Conservation was such a, through hunting really, uh, became such a huge mission of mine that I knew that by going into that career path, everything, I, you know, doing that every day was going to make a difference. And I think knowing that what you're doing is making a difference, no matter what line of work you're in, provides so much more value beyond just a paycheck. And uh, so absolutely, you've been a help to me and countless others, I am certain. You know, a good way to start this show out, though, I thought would be to do a little past, present, and future of Wired to Hunt because there's been a ton of changes through the years and uh, still a great show, of course. But um, I thought it might be kind of fun for a longtime listener and the the, the OG himself to uh, uh, reminisce a little bit about some of, some of the episodes here. And so for the past, <laughs> for the past, I thought it'd be fun to awesome. do to do the uh <laughs> the early days of wired to hunt some things that stood out to me first of all dan johnson as a co-host you could not have picked a better co-host mark i mean dan was just so so this is just from a listener's perspective you were the you know you were the responsible um like well studied um you know carefully choosing your words uh, uh, host. And then there was Dan, the guy who just knew how to get it done was a little bit wild and crazy. <laughs> and, uh, you guys were like the perfect, perfect yin and yang of, uh, really yep. was, of, uh, uh, that, that made that show so entertaining. And, um, you know, I still love following both of you guys. And it's, I love when you got like just this last week, you guys did an episode together again. And it was like, man, this, this is awesome. Listening to you guys. And, and it's cool to see how you guys are maintaining yeah, yeah, for sure. Right, and you were, you know, throwing up some names of some old bucks that I remembered from years ago that that you'd been talking about and stuff. It was it was just fun to to sit through that, but that was awesome. But that made me think of another thing. Like years later, I think it was after you had your first son. I was listening to an episode, and <laughs> you kind of more or less apologized to Dan, and uh, you said, mm-hmm. Dan, I remember when I used to tell you to just get a babysitter and go hunting, and I even <laughs> I even sent you some babysitting money, and uh, that's true. <laughs> Hundred dollar checks. They go hunt for one. I remember that too. That was priceless. Oh man! So you were like, I now realize that it's not that simple. And what's funny is, you know, we're very similar age. I think. I think I. I'm just a couple years younger than you, Mark. I'm 33, and uh, I. But I had my son right around the time when you had yours, he was my first kid. And so when back when you were saying that to Dan, like, dude, just find a babysitter. I was like, yeah, dude, just find a babysitter, man. Get out there and go hunting. And, and when you, <laughs> he's like, I'm not going to get my first hunt until November 1st. I'm like, oh dude, you're going to waste a whole month of the season. What are you doing? <laughs> I know. I know. And I was oh. like, I, I I'm, I'm with Mark on this. And then when you apologized, it was hilarious because I was like, I'm with Mark on this. It is way different than, <laughs> than what I thought it was. <laughs> you can't just yeah, find reality a slaps in the face. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, uh, so that was, that was one that stuck out to me. Um, the, the, 
<laughs> the other thing that that stuck out to me, and I want maybe a little bit of an update on this. At that time, you had been, uh, I think you had been leasing a farm down in Ohio. And I know that with with your current role there at Meat Eater, you're, I mean, you're shooting shows all over the country, which is a good reminder, by the way. Um, if, uh, if you haven't yet, turn into Mark's shows on the Meat Eater YouTube channel. They're excellent. Um, Deer Country, I believe, is one of them, right? Yeah, that's the new one. That's the new one. And then um, you could even go back, I'm sure, and find old Back 40 episodes if you want to get into some habitat management. And there's a very strong helping first-gen hunters thread to that too, which is, which is great. And, and there was even, I think you even made a post about that this week about some of the work that national deer association has done with that. And then, uh, you could even go to the seven days in November show, which came out last year. And I think that, did I hear you on this week's podcast that that's coming back again this year? Yes. So we are filming season two of that this year, and then it will air next year we're, we last year we sure. did it filmed and aired in the same like month and it was just a little bit too much <laughs> so we're gonna film it and then air it a little bit later this time awesome yeah that's cool so you're definitely gonna want to tune in they're great they're they're uh obviously great information but just entertaining too and mark was running all over the country so that plays into my question here does the ohio lease still exist are you are you going back to ohio i think you said something about it this week in your podcast but i was working while i was listening and and i'm not sure if i caught it all but what 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 happened with the ohio lease yeah so the ohio lease is a story with a tragic ending oh no um (laughs) back in you know, I guess it was 2017, maybe somewhere in that ballpark. I think seven, I think 17 was the last year I hunted it. Um, the landowners had become very, very, very old and, uh, one of them passed away and the other moved to, you know, um, uh, an assisted living center. And so their kids sold the house and the farm. And when oh. they did that, we lost permission there. Oh, yeah. Ooh, that actually so sounds I've not been familiar. back to hunt. Maybe you mentioned yeah. that on the podcast. I think a lot of people have had that. Um, <laughs> but I do have I do have an update. Um, since then, you know, I've I've been doing a lot of different stuff with Mediator, traveling around, et cetera, et cetera. Well, this year I have a little bit lighter travel schedule with shows and whatnot, and I started re-exploring new options to try to get back down there because. I just loved it down there, had some really great hunts, really enjoyed it. It was some great deer hunting that wasn't terribly, terribly far from where I live. Um, so started exploring some different options and opportunities, trying to find permission or a small lease or something. And uh, and I actually did end up finding a lease property that I am picking up this year. So right. it was a very nice thing. Um, I actually went and scouted one place last week and put cameras out there and it's just not what I'm looking for. And so then I was able to kind of find some other options and I'm actually driving down tomorrow, pulling cameras from one property, driving two hours to another part of the state <laughs> to then scout out and put cameras on the new property and then uh, hopefully get some quick intel over the next three, well, not even that, like two and a half weeks. And then I'll be hunting uh, during this this season's filming of one week in november at this new ohio spot love, love it. it hey mark question for you i always rag on michigan for some of the hunting stuff you know why why pick uh down south versus something closer to your home for a lease 
Mm. Yeah, I, I've always wanted to find something up in the northern place or northern part of the state that'd be closer to us, but it's just it's not as consistently good habitat and deer quality in those northern stretches. There's a lot of stuff in the northern half of at least northwestern half of Ohio. From my experience and some of my other buddies that hunt in and around there, it can be really good early when the crops are standing, but there's so little cover up there in that part of the state that as soon as the corn comes down, you'll have like a, a two acre or one acre woodlot and then a thousand acres of open cut field. Mm. And yeah. a lot of these deer just completely vacate the area. So like my buddy, I've got a buddy, uh, you maybe you guys heard of him, Andy May. Um, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and he hunts up there sometimes and he's talked about like, he'll have an opportunity the first week or two of the season. And then as soon as those crops come down, the bucks he's after move like six, seven, eight miles and he'll find them again, like other side of the township or something on some like, you know, sanctuary park or something. They're nowhere where he hunts. So the Southern part of the state has just, you know, it's, it's really light years different than Michigan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. You know, if I could find a spot like that close, I would jump on it. But to this point, the the opportunities I found have been down, down a ways. Hmm. You basically yeah. just described my home farm there, Mark. <laughs> when the crops go down, <laughs> you just lost your forest. Uh, that's uh, yeah. and we got you know we have a little bit of timber here, thankfully. Um, pr- actually, one of the bigger pieces of timber here on the home farm uh, that than most around here. But that's that's exactly what happens once the crops come down you go from maybe you know 20 30 deer on your farm to five max and yeah, especially then tough. yep yep it is so no that's cool though i'm glad you're going back down there and and you're having that you know having the time to to do that and and you know it might a couple hour drive might seem you know close to home compared to where <laughs> everywhere you've been traveling lately so uh, yeah. and then of course you know you uh already tagged a buck this year so that takes some uh that takes some pressure off you a little bit you know whether good or bad we always feel yeah. that little bit of a monkey on our back uh going into each hunting season i imagine that feels like a you know a uh silverback gorilla when you're uh in the the <laughs> front and center of uh <laughs> of media <laughs> whitetail media like you are so uh that's great and you can have more of that family time too hopefully and and uh you know it's, it's just nice to tag out early sometimes for those other reasons but no that's yeah. that's that's Very really nice. cool and you can actually hear that the story of that so we won't we won't uh make mark tell it again but you can hear that story on his latest uh episode that isn't a rep fresh episode i should say on uh his podcast uh if you uh tune into that but uh, the the other things I wanted to, to bring up from the the vault of Wired to Hunt, I guess you could say, was um, uh, so. Do you remember the episode? It was another shed hunting episode uh, with Dan Perez from Whitetail Properties. And uh, uh, I know exactly what you're going to bring up. I know exactly <laughs> what you're going to bring up. <laughs> I st- we still laugh about this today. <laughs> Dude, that was, that was, <laughs> that was like, I, I, I think I listened to it like five times at least. Not just like, did he really say what I think he said? I, think I, I asked him, I'm like, I'm like, uh, so are you being serious when you say you rake 
ponds for sheds? <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you serious right now? <laughs> He's no. like, oh, I'm very serious. <laughs> and, you know, I like go home and I'm, I'm like holding a garden rake in my hands, like trying to think, okay, how would I hold this? If I... <laughs> Should I really do this? <laughs> <laughs> if I if I attach this here, oh, like, you know, it, it, I just I couldn't believe what I was hearing. So there, here's here's how much this bugged me though. So. I've, you know, I've, I've played the clip for some other buddies that like to shed hunt and they're like, what? No way. And I'm like, yeah, I just, I think it's just the world's best prank. He just wants people out there everywhere, you know, mm-hmm. throwing rakes into ponds and falling in the water and everything else, trying, <laughs> trying, <laughs> trying to find, you know, something that doesn't exist. And so, but it bugged me so much that eventually I sent an email to Dan and I was like, dude, I gotta know. <laughs> I heard this years hilarious. years ago on on uh, Wired to Hunt, and he's like, "Absolutely, it is true." He said, uh, "He's like, what do you what do you have to lose by by trying it?" And he's like, "I found," and he's he like, "Walks walks me through." So I still haven't tried it because now I just can't. He probably like really wants me to try this to to you know know that he got at least one person. No, but no, Dan seems like a a, a, great, a great guy and, and everything. So I I think he seemed genuine enough to where I think he really has done that. But um, I have not yet tried raking ponds for sheds. But that was a moment that uh, has always been etched in my memory. One that is I've had hours of conversation around and and plenty of laughs and and uh, it, it was it was a great episode i really should do like during shed rally or something one of these years i should do like a great big instagram story all about like my shed hunting plan for the day <laughs> and then it just cuts to me standing next to a pond raking oh my god <laughs> <That'd be legendary. laughs> I, I would be crying that would that. be that would be awesome that'd be that uh, yeah that I gotta would remember to do that yeah you should definitely do that oh man you could almost do like a uh like a spoof commercial, you know, be like, here's the first light shed rake and get like one of those, you know, those like casting pond rakes that they have for like pulling algae yes. off your pond or whatever. That'd be, that'd be yeah. hilarious. It'd be good. Like April fools, you know, that's right. Heart of shed season. So there you go. There's some Great material. <laughs> all right. I'm set. Dad, all, all I picture is you now raking <laughs> a little pond. Cause, cause you would totally do that. If, you knew would, were yeah, in there. if there was a shed in there. <laughs> No time left behind, brother. No, I'd be. <laughs> well, there's the the farm you're going to be hunting next year. So not the home farm, the other family farm that we got, um, which is uh, you know much better for deer hunting year round. Uh, that's that's covered in these little ponds all over the place, and so it'd be the perfect place because it's loaded with deer, and there's all these little ponds to try raking. So uh, that might be the the cost of entrance there. Alex, you got to help me rake ponds. I was, I was about to say you're you're gonna video that, and that's gonna end up on YouTube. You're gonna have, Instagram, you're gonna have, to, that's what's gonna you're gonna have to hold can, on. To I my, can tell right now. That's right. You're gonna have to hold my ankles while I uh, <laughs> crawl in there with a rake. <laughs> no, that's that's a great moment oh. on the show. And then, um, uh, speaking of sheds, because I'm just obsessed. Uh, the and you actually mentioned, and we're gonna talk about your book here in, in a little bit. But uh, the trip that you did with Josh out west um when you were working on your book getting yeah. get, gathering some uh just really 
existing in the places where Teddy existed, which I think is just such a cool thing to do. Uh, th that was an awesome element to your book. Almost sharing these first person experiences um, with somebody who lived, you know, you know, almost a hundred years before you, but when you guys had that epic shed trip, I mean, there's of course some, some funny mishaps in there with the, the canoe, which you talk about in your book. And, uh, yeah. but you guys found a mountain of sheds. I remember your, your posts on, on Facebook or whatever after that trip. And I was just like, man, you guys hit the yeah. honey hole there, but you still have any of those sheds hanging around? Oh yeah, definitely do. I've got, uh, the match set where the drop time is on the bookshelf right behind me. Oh man. And, uh, a couple of the big Montana sheds are up on the bookshelf. Um, a pile of those like kind of smaller sheds are just kind of all piled up on a, like a cabinet kind of in my little, in my, I don't know, my kids call it the buck room and the kids just go in there every <laughs> day awesome. and grab different antlers and they rattle them and they make piles of them. And that's awesome. They, yeah. They, they've been well used by the family. That's for sure. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't, I'd rather give away an antler than throw one away or something. Like that. I know some guys like throw away antlers after they get older or whatever. I, in fact, I once interviewed a guy on the pod. I know. I interviewed a guy who like grew up in Montana and he's like hunted in, in Alaska and, and killed a moose in Alaska. And, and he's like in his sixties, maybe 70 now, just a ton of great hunting experience. And, uh, I was like, Hey Bill, would you mind, uh, you know, sending me a couple gripping grins, you know, to feature with, with the episode. And he's like, Oh, I don't know if I have any, I'm like, well, I mean, that's okay. You could, you know, you could just go stand by like one of your mounts or something like that. And he's like, I don't, I don't have any. I'm like, what do you mean? You shot a moose, shot a bull moose in that. He's like, man, yeah, well, I guess I just threw him away. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> it's just There's like, no way. I don't, so either his, his intentions are way more pure than that of my own. <laughs> He's just in it for the meat. But, uh, uh, yeah, some people just don't see the value to it. And that's totally fine. That's their prerogative. But, uh, yeah, I love, I love every shed that I pick up and I even try to fix them up sometimes, but I never have time to do that anymore but uh yeah they're they're all cool in their own way you know it's funny i oh, i was reading it, it's ironic that we're talking about this because i was rereading mark's book last night and i just kind of finished up on the on the shed piece and you know you guys were walking along the river or whatever the case was um but then uh the day before i was reading a book on you know why people hunt and one of the one of the big you know focal points that i definitely connect to is you know, you, you have the the mixed thoughts on like the trophies and the meat and all this other stuff, but like, you know, sheds, mounts, taxidermy, whatever it is, it always goes back to like, you looking back at that and you have the memory of it, mm. you know? So it's, yeah. it's like mind boggling that you don't have that memory. Like to me, to your point, everybody's right. different, but <laughs> like, you know, if Mark Mark's out there, he's, he's in history, right? You're walking along where you know, Teddy is like, you got that shed, like you're going to look at it and you're going to say, man, I remember that trip yeah. and everything that was associated with it. Right. Or you're in Alaska. Like that's wild. The, the meat, I, I love the meat. Obviously I'm, that's my, my main focus, but like not having something is that that's top man. Like credit to that guy that he has 
no wants to it whatsoever. And, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I guess I give him kudos on that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, knowing who he is, it's, it's not, you know, he's not doing it because, you know, for some dirt bag reason or something. It's he's, he's, uh, tr- yeah, yeah, yeah. truly a, a great guy. It's like the purest of, of things, you know, and I think it's also just that era of hunting too, you know, it was more living where he lived, you know, in the mountains of Montana growing up and he was very poor as a kid, you know, just that, having that nutrition, you know, uh, steady nutrition, I think was, yeah. is really what he saw hunting as, uh, you know, it was, it was a way to go grocery shopping without much money at, you know, when he was a kid. So I, yeah, I, I agree with you though. I think that each one is, you know, a relic of the time that you had and uh, who you were with and the circumstances, who was babysitting your kids to allow you to go all that stuff, you know, but Okay, right. one one more thing here, Mark, that I really want to hit on, and uh, that is uh, your family hunting camp stories. Those were always, and if I remember right, you guys called the the cabin was it Kenroven something like that? Yeah, Ken, Kenroven yep, cabin. And the way, and part of this is you're just you're an excellent uh, storyteller, but you would paint that picture for us listeners to where it's like, man, I can almost picture myself there. And I never even had a hunting camp to go to, of course, you know, growing up or anything like that. And, um, to, you know, to, to just the way you described the small little cabin. And I think you talked about how you guys would be sleeping on couches and stuff like old couches and, uh, all the mounts that were from years before up on the wall. And I think you even said you guys had like a break in once and someone stole a bunch of the racks off the wall, you know, just that tragedy there to, you know, be looking out and the ghost story or whatever that your grandpa used to tell you about the place. And then even just your, <laughs> yeah. your, your connection with your grandpa, um, that, that really helped, I think on the, the side of hunting, like the, the longing to be a part of a community that gets people to stick with hunting, which is really what I, is probably the biggest target of doing the first gen hunter podcast to give these people a community to be a part of that. I think if you have that community, you stick with hunting. If you don't have that, that community, I'm not saying you won't stick with it. I think there's tons of people out there who have hunted largely as individuals and have, you know, become some of the greatest hunters out there. I'm, I'm listening to Cam Haynes book endure right now. And that is, there's a very strong theme of that throughout the book. And I mean, who's a better bow hunter on this planet than, than Cam Haynes, you know, it's, 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 uh, so it's not like you have to have that, but I think that communicating this, this world of belonging something you can belong to almost like a team and uh i think that that holds people within hunting long enough to where they get hooked so i always loved hearing those stories is the is the family hunting camp still alive and well <clears throat> yeah ken ken roven is still kicking and uh we're hopefully going up there in a few weeks and awesome. then for a nice nice good long trip during gun season and uh, what's what's really cool now is that last year my son was three and I figured that was about the age I started going up there. So mm-hmm. I took my son up there for the first few times last year and, uh, got to do a hunt with grandpa. And, uh, and then we came back again this spring, did some work up there with, with my son again, and, and he'll be joining me for all the trips this year too. So it's, it's, uh, really, really cool now to have 
uh, I guess it's the fourth generation of Kenyan wow. now that's been able to uh, spend time up there. So um, well, we'll have my dad, myself, and, and Everett here yeah. soon, and that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, that's fantastic. What a legacy. And I think you'd be pretty hard-pressed to find another activity outside of hunting that provides that kind of cross-generational connection, you know. And uh, yeah, that's 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 such a cool story there. Glad you guys are doing it. It's cool to see everything come full circle. Everyone kind of shift shifts forward a step in their role at, yep. at hunting camp, you know, and uh, that's true. how, that's how it should be. You know, that's, that's good. That's, that's progress. So yeah, that's the best glad to hear it. Well, the present what's going on now, uh, you brought in another guy to, to, host a bunch of the podcasts with you or or even uh he hosts them himself that'd be mr tony peterson who is just uh i haven't seen a ton of tony's work outside of wired to hunt um i i know he used to write for i think it was peterson's wasn't it or yeah he did he did peterson's bow hunting and uh, bow hunter and he did field and streak. He kind of has been everywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I knew he'd been in the industry for a long time. And he's a guy who just is from my perspective, uh, a killer. I mean, <laughs> he like just oh, yeah. gets out there and gets it done. And one of the things I've always appreciated about him is, uh, he's kind of a cross trainer hunter, I guess you'd say. I mean, mm-hmm. he's talks about getting out with his, uh, bird dogs and, and, uh, he likes to do a little shed hunting. He wrote a really good, uh, like, you know, five tips for shed hunting article, which when you read a lot of shed hunting articles, you probably notice this as well, Mark especially in the, especially like 10 years ago when shed hunting was still like just starting to become, you know, you know, known in mainstream outdoor world, I'd say, um, the articles would be like, you could like put them on like transparency paper and like put them over top of each other. And they would pretty much line up same. word for word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like, do these exact same things that you read over there and you will be a good chef. But Tony had one of these tips that has always stood out to me. He said, if you shed hunt public land, go out on Thursdays. And his reasoning was yeah. most guys are weekend warriors for shed hunting, especially on public ground. And so all the antlers that have dropped during the week are gobbled up over the weekend well, then Thursday is the day right before the weekend. So you've now had six days of, of redrops or, you know, drops that I shouldn't say redrops. <laughs> That'd be crazy. I'd really be into shed hunting then. Uh, <laughs> yeah. the, <laughs> uh, you know, six days for the deer to start dropping again. And, uh, go out on that Thursday. I thought that was a great tip. So s- super smart, insightful guys. It's been cool to get to work with, with Tony. Yeah. Tony. He is uh he's one of the very very best deer hunters i know mm-hmm. um so you know i love to do a podcast with dan because he's a wild card <laughs> but, but no offense to dan but tony brings a different <laughs> level of expertise to the table johnson if you ever hear this we love you <laughs> yeah we love you dan um oh, and so awesome. so yeah I, i'm always learning something from tony and uh, he, he truly is like one of the top two or three deer hunters I know. He's he's very, very, very good. And mm. he's a very good communicator and teacher too, which is, um, you know, something when I was trying to add someone to Wired to Hunt who, who not only would do podcast stuff, but also Tony writes for us. He mm-hmm. 
does a lot of different projects for us. Um, you know, finding someone who really could do it all. And Tony's, you know, he's a good communicator on video. He's a good communicator on the podcast. He can write. Um, so he's he's really one of the best teachers i think in mm-hmm. the deer hunting world too so you get someone who's very, very good at deer hunting and very good at teaching uh you know I, I couldn't ask for a better you know person to help me with this stuff and then he's actually quite funny too oh, so yeah. uh you know, <laughs> I, I miss having dan around dan's super busy now and we couldn't we couldn't keep up with our pace but uh tony is a great uh villain to get almost as funny as dan <laughs> yeah he's awesome does. He definitely has me laughing a lot. Unfortunately, though, he kind of craps on you quite a bit, you know, when you're not there on the podcast. It's usually my expense. Yeah, I know. I know. That's the thing. It's like, dang, man. Uh, (laughs) At least you know it. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. That's right. That's right. But uh, I heard you get him back pretty good on the whole uh, uh, astronomy nerd thing that you were talking about with with Dan. But uh, And it was actually cool to hear Dan interview him. Um, as well, a few times on, on, uh, nine fingers, you know, that's, it's, it's, I think (laughs) that would be a very interesting room to be in, uh, Dan and Tony in the same room, but, uh, (laughs) I I tried to get for that podcast where I killed my buck. It was supposed to be Dan and Tony and me. And I thought that would, that would have been awesome. Like the old (laughs) co-host, the new co-host and, uh, and me and, uh, talking about my story. It would have been great, but Tony was in the middle of a hunt in South Dakota and just couldn't get to service in time for uh, our deadline. So, oh man, oh, man. another You're, time. The the podcast software may have crashed if you tried uh, bringing uh, <laughs> bringing all that together in one. That would have been crazy. Just but, break uh, the internet. That's right. That's right. A <laughs> couple of couple of great guys there though, and and it's fun to see see the show uh, evolve in that way. Uh, so then the other part, of course, is um, I think one of your and maybe the idea wasn't original to you. I guess I just always assumed it was. I know Spencer Newharth helped you with uh, way back in the day with uh, rut. You guys used to just call it rut. So let me get this right. It started out as rut fresh radio, then yeah. went to rut radio, and now it's rut fresh radio, or is it rut radio first? <laughs> so it started out as rut radio. Okay. And, um, do you, well, do you have more of the question, or do you want me to explain the whole thing? Well, you know, explain the name, because I've always wondered. Yeah, so I honestly can't even remember whose idea it was first now that I think about it. I thought I think it was my idea in like basically Spencer had reached out and wanted to get involved with Wired to Hunt. He was doing some freelance stuff like North American Whitetail and different places. Sure. And so, you know, we got to talking. I looked at his resume and the stuff he'd done in the past. And I said, well, let's start with some writing. And we did that for a while. And then I think like we started talking about ways he could get more involved and maybe do some podcast stuff. Mm-hmm. And we started talking through different like show ideas, and we we came upon, and I don't remember where who first had the idea. It doesn't matter, but we came upon this idea of let's you know let's do a weekly update from the field and get like yeah. you know reports of what's happening, what are people seeing, what's working, what's not working, what should we be expecting, and so yeah, we came up with the idea of rut radio, and so we were doing that, and then simultaneous to that, Spencer you know, it was like, Hey, I'm going to start my own blog and I'm going to do like some written kind of stuff like this too. And he's like, I'm gonna call it rut fresh. So he had a website that was his own oh, thing, totally okay. separate. He was calling rut fresh and he would add updates and write about stuff. And then he was doing rut radio, the podcast for me. And then fast forward like two years or something. And he joins meat eater alongside of me, like 
six months or a year after I joined Meat Eater. Mm-hmm. He becomes a Meat Eater employee, and now like now Meat Eater has Rut Fresh in its like portfolio. Oh, and okay. so then there was this whole thing like, hey, we have this Rut Fresh thing, this little brand that Spencer has been building. Should we use it? Should we continue it? Do we get rid of it? Um, and then finally, I was like, well, why don't we just keep him doing Rut Fresh reports? Um, he can write them, and we'll call them Rut Fresh reports on the website and then let's just tweak name of the podcast so we're utilizing that brand name i don't know it was like a weird kind of like branding thing and um so that's why we called it rut fresh it was just basically to give a nod to this thing he'd been building and to kind of keep the same show idea going but tweak the title um yeah. Uh, more complicated than it had to be, probably. But that's how yeah. it came. No, it's good. It's good. To, I had no clue. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> that's to, a good breakdown. It's good to know that. And of course, that is you know that brings us to the present as well with with where it is today. And it's uh, I think I mean we just had an episode come out. I think was it. I don't. I'm not sure when the last. I know there's one today that I saw that I got a little ding on yeah, my so podcast. Been last and, yep. So every Wednesday they're they're coming out with new ones and and hosted by a new team there as well. So a lot of voices that go into Wired and Hunt now, which is is cool to get all that uh, perspective and and uh, you know it was really a a great idea. I thought you know I was like man that was so smart. In fact, there were times when you used to make me super jealous, Mark, because I'd be like, how did he come up with this? <laughs> great idea i should have you know i should have thought of this of course i was too new to hunting to even know what rut meant at the time but it's like that's such a great business I, you know and and uh so that was that was one of and then the back when uh you were partnered with sitka um the sitka stories were always a great idea too when when you guys worked yeah. those into the episodes i loved hearing those and it was a great way to do a commercial i don't yeah. know if there's ever been a better co- commercial model in all the history of commercials it's like okay i'm technically listening to a <laughs> commercial right now but i'm very entertained by this commercial yeah. right i think the closest uh anyone's got gotten to that is probably geico geico commercials will uh i'll i'll, I'll sit there for a geico commercial they're usually worth the the the, the watch or listen but now the the <laughs> sickest stories those were those were awesome and uh just another smart thing that that i think you know set wired to hunt up to be such a, a great hunting podcast so that was cool uh, in the future, any any big things coming up for uh, Wired to Hunt? You know, I don't know. I hmm. really don't know. Um, you know, right now we're just in like execute on the current plan kind mm-hmm. of mode. Um, I don't know. I, we haven't really dove into what the next big thing might be next year. You know, there's some new video uh, ideas that are kind of percolating and oh, cool. kind of being molded and waiting for approval and stuff like that. So there, there could be some new video projects coming down the line. Uh, with the podcast, I don't know if there'll be any major changes. Um, you know, the big thing that I'm just always struggling with is how do you keep it fresh? How do you keep it, mm-hmm. um, you know, top of the pack? How do I make sure that this thing is, you know, it used to be like we were one of the only podcasts out there that did this. Yeah. Um, now there's 200 of them. Um, <laughs> At least. And so, yeah. And so I'm constantly trying to make sure, like, how do I how do I maintain the quality of this and um, not have this get stale? So that's, that's a challenge. I'm constantly, you know, struggling to think about that. But, um, you know, uh, we're going to keep on trying new things. We're going to keep on bringing in new voices and different perspectives and uh, try to make sure that, if nothing else, that we're the most well-prepared, well-thought-through, uh, most 
you know, help the audience focused podcast out there. That's what I always try to do. And um, hopefully I can continue to do that and uh, and take us to new places, too. So that's, yeah. that's the goal. Uh, but I wouldn't I wouldn't expect, you know, any major, major changes to the format. But we'll uh, we'll be tweaking. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad to glad to hear that. And it doesn't surprise me based on the quality stuff through the years. You're, that's always at the forefront of your mind. Now, if you ever do hit like a, a really big like pothole or something like that, here's my suggestion for you. You should just yeah. make up that holy field still exists. You just be like, dude, you guys aren't <laughs> going to believe this. Just check this trail camera. Holyfield lives. He's like 14 now. And, uh, you know, the story of all stories. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Just, just bring back, bring back Holyfield and everyone will be, everybody will be glued again. Did you ever get like any inkling, whatever happened to Holyfield? So the closest I ever got to it was my brother-in-law who lives down this neck of the woods that I live. Um, and who actually grew up close to where I hunt. Um, he said some guy he met or some person he knows told him that he killed Holyfield and like he, he was like ah, I've killed that buck Kenyon's been trying to get that stupid really? Holyfield deer he can never kill um, that, <laughs> really? that's basically what I heard I, I have no further no further details no further anything just like a, a one-off mention of like a bar running or like at the farm kind of running like that that uh, I heard about so I don't know if there's any truth to that um, but that's the one thing I've heard. I've yeah. heard nothing from any like the neighbors, um, no one I've ever talked to. Um, so I don't know. Um, but oh. there are some folks that I, I've never actually ran into personally. Um, but I, I see their trucks over there and I know that they hunt, um, in a property that's across the road and down the block a little ways from mm-hmm. where Holyfield was on my place. And I, I've, I've heard like rumblings of them killing some of the deer I've been hunting. So if I had to guess where he might have gotten shot, he might have gotten shot by those guys. Um, Like a really big giant buck over here like two years ago disappeared in mid-October. And then I heard from a landowner that, oh, yeah, my these people killed a 14-point buck over here. I was like, oh, well, that that was him. Um, (laughs) so, So that's probably what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? Well, the I'm mystery glad, continues. Yeah. I'm glad that the mystery continues because Holyfield deserves that. You know what I mean? He was a, he was a cool buck yeah. and it's nice to, to know that we, nobody will ever know. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and, uh, you know, right. A funny story about that is like that, that story has really like had a life of its own in kind of a crazy way. Like, who would have thought like a 120 inch eight pointer in Michigan would, uh, <laughs> would get so much attention. But, um, I uh, have had so many people like, you know, write about that, asking that question, whatever happened to it or loved you know, found that story or whatever. And one time in like Detroit somewhere parked in a random like outside Detroit, I can't remember what I was doing out there, but I was there and I come out to my truck after whatever I was doing and in the dust, in the dust on the back of my truck window, somebody had written in the dust, Holyfield lives. <laughs> <laughs> like. That's awesome. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> a, that someone could figure out that was my truck, and B, that they wrote that. It was like classic. It was, it was, it was probably Dan Johnson. He was probably like just cruising through. <laughs> no, man, that's, I'd almost be like a little. Following Mark around. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be a little freaked out right there. I mean, 
It was all creepy. <laughs> oh yeah, no kidding. The party's like, where? Where does he live? <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's <laughs> no, that's uh, uh, what a what an epic tale for sure. Well, we're we're closing in on the hour mark here, and uh, we don't want to take up any more uh, uh, time than than uh, Mark's already been generous enough to to a lot for us today. But I do want to get to um you know your your book that wild country and it's a so i bought your book right when it came out but i have this terrible problem mark i have like i hear books on podcasts all the time and uh i get like backed way up so i think i'm like 20 some books behind right now and i'm looking over at the shelf right now a lot of them <laughs> a lot of them i've actually gotten referenced from you um uh, so here's one that you might remember. I think you made this post once. Uh, it's like uh, <laughs> beloved beasts. There's one I can see on my shelf right now. Still yep. got to still got to read that yep. one. Um, of course, uh, you, yours was on the shelf as well. And but in prep for this podcast, I got. I was like, I need to. I need. And I and I started. I think I had. <sighs> I must have read like the first chapter or something like that. And I have that habit too. Like I'm, I'm like all backed up on like chapter one of all these books. And I'm like, oh, I need to go back and finish that book first. And so all that to say, <clears throat> I got through that wild country and I loved it. And, uh, the, the mission that is the thread through the whole book, I think is, was so smartly done. And the reason I say that is because at the beginning <clears throat> you you start out with that crazy, you know, current event that was going on that, you know, with the the Bundy takeover, I think it was out in Oregon, uh of some some public land or whatever state that was in. Was that or or was it Utah? I'm I'm mixing that up, you know, just Midwest here. You're right. It was Oregon. It was Oregon. And and uh the you know, so it's like, okay, yeah, I can see why that's a problem. <clears throat> and, and I always try to think too, when I'm reading somebody who I consider to be from, you know, my circle of in, you know, not my influence, but who I'm influenced by. It's like, yeah, obviously I'm influenced by that person. So my mind aligns with them. So I'm going to look at these problems with the same amount of fervor as they do. You know what I mean? But, but I try to say, okay, let me turn off my brain in that way. And if, if, you know, some lady from down the road was reading this book, would she buy into the the mission. Does that make sense? So I'm trying to think, okay, how convincing is this yeah. to, to the yeah. outsiders, so to speak? And <clears throat> you start off in this way of like anyone who picked up the book could be like, yeah, I see that as a problem. This guy's out there, you know, toting guns around, you know, saying we're going to take this over, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to legally graze my cattle here and there's nothing you can do about it. You know, anyone with a rational brain in their skull is going to read that and be like, yeah, I see that as a problem, but they're not going to necessarily be passionate about it. And this is where the book, I think, was so smart. By the end, that builds, you know, to the end, you the the way you summed it up, I think it was the last paragraph of the book. I, I start it here in my copy. It nearly moved me to tears, man. I was uh, I was listening to it. I got it on Audible as well, so I could listen to it while I was working. 
And I was standing in the back of a wagon of Indian grass seed. <laughs> and I was, uh, <laughs> I was, I was raking the Indian grass or maybe it was big blue stem. It was one of the two. I was raking it into, you know, a nice even pile in there. So it would dry nice, not mold and all that. And I heard this line and I nearly, it nearly moved me to tears. And I, I think it's because I have a son that's very similar age to yours. And it said, do you, do you mind if I read this, by the way, on the podcast, this last paragraph? Yeah, go for it. Okay. For so it. it says, I had the hope sitting on the mountain that day, surrounded by hundreds of miles of public land, rock and tundra, grizzlies and caribou, life and death. I imagined sitting on a slope like this again, someday, far in the future, watching a burnt orange sun setting over the horizon and wisps of purple clouds blanketing the distant peaks. A young man would be sitting next to me with dirty auburn hair and wide eyes, taking in the never-ending vista spread out before him. It was his. It was mine. It was all of ours. That is the way to finish a book. <laughs> and by the end... Uh, yeah, that's awesome. The, the the fervor dial on anyone who read that for understanding the importance of protecting and promoting our public lands and the things that you can do on them has to be peaking out. So that's I guess that's a very long way of saying very well done on that. Has that mission continued to like burn inside of you since writing the book? Yeah, if anything, it's it's grown and, you know, both both public land and outside of just public land issues too. just in general, wanting to to protect, conserve, preserve uh, our, our wild places and wild animals and, and opportunities to you know, spend time around them. Uh, all that stuff, I, I feel being pulled more and more to 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 transform what I do to make more of a difference there. Mm -hmm. um, so if anything's you asked about the future of wired hunt, if anything is going to change, it's going to be adding more and more time spent to that kind of stuff Love it. and hopefully working on new books here in the near future too. Um, because yeah, that's um, I think since having kids that's turned the dial up mm. because it's, it's one thing to want to protect these places because you love them. Uh, it's another thing to want to protect, these places and animals and opportunities when you got these two little boys that you so desperately want yeah. to be able to enjoy the same things that you were able to. Um, and so, yeah, that's, um, you know, what I, what I kind of joke is like when I grow up, that's what I want to do. I want to write books <laughs> and I want to, uh, save the planet. <laughs> love, love it. And yeah. Uh, yeah. That's so, so Yes, is the short answer. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And even there's been some great things to happen. I mean, there's been some scary things to happen, but there's been some big wins as well uh, since your book came out, which I think yeah. came out in 2019, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And uh, when it and, and, you know, just that timing, how crazy the world has changed since since then to now. But um, the great american outdoors act um helped with a lot of those yep. the you identified that towards the end of the book you said you know, i can't remember if it was in a conversation you referenced that you had with randy newberg or who it was but you talked about basically this nickel and diming nicks and cuts way of of yeah. making federal land 
so undesirable that anyone would say, look at that mess. Yes. If you can find a buyer, you know, at any price, sell it. And, and that was, you know, you, you identify that as that's the next political move for those who want to offload uh, federal lands and the great American outdoors act Mm -hmm. really helped stem the tide on that. Right. Definitely is a a huge, huge help. And, uh, you know, that, and then, um, Oh, the Dingle Johnson something or other act that came out a year later. Basically, we we got the Land and Water Conservation Fund, which Mm. is this really important program that devotes significant funding towards land acquisition and maintenance. Um, Basically got that uh, approved for perpetuity moving into the future. And then the next year, another bill was passed that finally fully funded that. So something like $900 million a year now is, is put into that from royalties on oil drilling and I think it's offshore oil drilling. Um, mm-hmm. So we, we now have a funding source to better maintain these places and to possibly add uh, or make land swaps to make sure that we have access to more of those public lands. So big help. There was like a $12 billion backlog and maintenance on national parks. Wow. Um, that was funded through one of those um so yeah a couple big wins in the last few years uh we've we've definitely as a community made public lands especially but conservation more generally is is getting up there it's becoming more and more a must for politicians they're realizing that these are issues that a lot of people care about on both sides and that's mm-hmm. the key mm-hmm. you know yep. if we're to, if public lands or conservation or wildlife if that's just a republican thing or just a democratic thing we're going to have a lot of losses because there's, there's swings yeah. both ways, right? But if we can make it something that, and if you want to win, no matter what party you're in, you need these voters, you need those things, right? That's the way we keep these places and animals and opportunities around for the long term. And, and the only way to do that is to put the pressure on these folks and to make a lot of noise and to stand up and, and work for it. And, and, and we've been, you know, getting better and better at that. It seems like over the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. so I'm, I'm hopeful that there's a lot of passionate people that want to continue that fight. But you know, as I noted in that book, if, if I learned anything after studying this history, it's like this fight never stops. You never win. You might, yeah, you right. might win a small battle. You might get, you know, you might get, you know, a nice little gold star for the yeah. year. Um, but there's always going to be someone coming for it. It's, it's never going to stop. So it's, mm-hmm. it's the never ending story that we just have to keep on chopping away at. Yeah. And yeah, you got to win a year at a time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, That that is very well said. And to kind of bring this full circle with where the the conversation on Mark's book started, you know, when talking about Mark's little gaze into the future there with with hunting with his son, hopefully someday, you know, I shouldn't even say little. (laughs) It's a huge picture you you were imagining. Yeah, right. Um, That explains exactly what Mark just said there, where this is going to be a constant thing. You know, Teddy, I was, I was thinking as, as, as I was going through the book, how have we been able to hang on when we lose people like Teddy and even John Muir, who wasn't, you know, for hunting, but definitely for public lands and, and, uh, lose, uh, you know, the John F. Lacey, which by the way, Mark, cool little uh, fact for you, where I sit right now is like, 10 miles from where John F. Lacey lived. And, uh, uh, 
to to kind of give you a uh, idea for how people miss the uh, um, miss the mark, uh, uh, there's the there's the uh, Lacey Sports Complex. You know how do you how do you uh, set up a uh, <laughs> a uh, what do you call it? Uh, a, I can't think of the word. Some kind of marker for somebody who did something great. A memorial. There it is. Yeah, a memorial, memorial for for yeah. conservationists. You pave it, man. You pave that sucker. Pour down some yeah. diamond dust. <laughs> put in some plastic bleachers. That's horrible. <laughs> but no, I, yeah. he, he should have. Uh, he should have a state park full of native prairie. Is what should have his name on it. I love that. That'd be that'd be fantastic. But but anyways, with all those folks gone. You know, it's like, how have we been able to hang on for the next 100 years? Somehow we have, and we've seen some big wins, some gold star years, like you mentioned. But then what about when when Mark Kenyon is 100 years gone and Steve Rinella's 100 years gone and Whit Fosberg, and we can go on and down, down the list, you know, Randy Newber, all these people who have had these super strong voices and have megaphoned their voice, uh, Lantani, out into the, the medium, you know, out into the noise to raise awareness. What do, what's it going to be when they're 100 years gone? You know, are our grandkids, great grandkids, our first gen hunters then going to have a place to go hunt? If, uh, you, you know, if, if those 100 years pass and all these, these great voices who have defended it are gone. And the only way to answer that is to say, well, how well are we training up that next group of people that are going to, yeah. to be the users of it? Because that's really the only way you can, you can have, you can leave this earth with a lasting impact is based on what you've passed down to that generation behind you. And if you're, you know, somebody like Teddy, you know, two, three generations behind you. And so it's, uh, uh, you know, a very powerful message to say, and something that should resonate with all first gen hunters, because, uh, you need to have one of the things about getting going hunting, you got to have a place to hunt. And, uh, that, that public space allows for that and has been a huge part of uh, me getting hunting experience as a first gen hunter. Uh, Alex and I, we were just chasing black bears in Northwest Montana this spring. And uh, that was all done on, nice. on public land, you know, and that, that was a, a dream of a trip that could have never happened uh, without public space to do so so yeah incredibly important message if you're listening to this you need to buy and you need to pick up a copy of that wild country by mark kenyon and uh, uh, uh get reading through that now mark before we shut this one down <clears throat> we need a good hunting story and uh i feel I feel as I'm at this point, you know, I feel like I've, I've failed in a way as, as the podcast host right now, because I haven't like gotten, you know, like 50 tips and tricks on, on how to hunt deer better. <laughs> um, because there's really no one better to ask, but, um, I, this has been a ton of fun just conversing with you and, and getting the inside scoop on, yeah. on wire to hunt and everything. But through the years, you've mentioned a lot of bucks on your show and, uh, I hate to do this to you, man, but I want to hear a story about hunting. Could be, you know, the tagging moment. Could be a moment uh, where you got close and didn't work out, but a story about your favorite buck. And if you can't pick a favorite, I want to pick one for you because I've always been curious about this buck, the buck named Six Shooter. Um, I'm, oh, yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm assuming Six Shooter is a big six. Is, is that 
Is that is that true or? So he, yeah, he he the first year I saw him, which was the first year I hunted in South Central Michigan, he was the one and only good buck that showed up on that property I was hunting, and he was the big six. So yeah, that's how he got the name. And I'd be happy to talk about him if you're curious about him. Oh yeah, uh, well. Yeah, if I mean, if you want to tell your favorite story, or if you want to do both, whatever, you know, I got I got time. But, but um, the 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 story that jumps into your mind the most. Well, six shooter is a good one, uh, because that was like my that was my first mature buck I ever oh, killed in cool. Michigan. Uh, and it was the first deer I ever got history with. He was the first deer that I chased for multiple years. I mean, he. T- a ton um and there was a lot of ups and downs so um i will try to give you the short version of the story yeah that sounds like the, a perfect first gen hunter yeah. story because it's a first yeah and and you know i i hunted you know since i was a little kid right but i did not have very much success for the first like 15 years sure we hunted up in northern michigan my family was like we were very kind of casual hunters we go out there we have our fun deer camp but it wasn't really serious Mm -hmm. um so i you know i wasn't getting taught how to play the wind i wasn't getting taught how to really make a plan for how to find these deer it was kind of like i go walk out sit next to a tree somewhere if you see some rubs that's good and shoot (laughs) the first thing you see that's kind of how i was taught to hunt for the first 15 years so it wasn't until i graduated college and started going and finding my own places sure that i really was learning things and so it was right around that time just a year or two out of college Mm -hmm. that i moved to southern michigan and I got access to this new property and I put cameras out and it was like nothing, nothing, nothing. I was getting very depressed. And then finally in like, I don't know, September, early October. Yeah, it must have been late September. I finally get pictures of like a nice buck. And at this point, I had killed a few bucks, a few does. And I decide, OK, I'm going to try to get a three and a half year old buck or bigger, like my biggest buck ever. Three year old was my goal. And I finally got pictures of a three and a half year old buck, this really nice awesome. big six pointer. I was really excited about it. So we call him six shooter and I go out opening morning, go out to this tree stand. First time ever hunting this new property. I get up in the stand and like half hour after daylight, I see antlers coming my way and it's six shooter <laughs> and he comes walking right towards me and beds down like six yards away in this tall grass. And I couldn't oh, believe it. I'm so excited. Uh, I, I was I was self-filming it. It was like the first big buck I'd been close to and uh, was just like on the moon excited. And I came back that evening. Like I sat there all afternoon. More, I'm trying to remember. I think I left at noon and he never got back up again. I snuck out, came back in the afternoon and he got up and went the other direction. I tried grunting to him. Nothing. Came back like two days later trying to get to the same general place. I can't remember if I hunted the same stand or if I moved. I think I hunted the same stand. I wasn't really didn't know what I was doing. And um, he stood back up from the same place and walked away. Couldn't get him to come in. And then I didn't see him again for weeks. Disappeared and was gone until like first week of November. And again, like this is early on. I'm really charged up. I'm hunting like every day during the rut and couldn't see this buck I was after. Couldn't, couldn't find him. Didn't know what was going on. And November 5th, 6th, 7th, something like that. Somewhere in the heart of that, you know, November time period, I finally get eyes on him again. And he looks like he's about to die. Like he, he looks like he was seriously (sighs) wounded. He was, he was limping along. 
uh, like could hardly walk. And so I think like, I, in my head, I'm like, he just got shot by someone. He's, he's about to die in front of my eyes. He must've oh. got hit, you know, like arrowed on a neighboring property. I was really like bummed out, super devastated. Sure. Um, he disappeared as the light faded. Couldn't see what happened. I went back in the next day, like searched around, trying to find a blood trail, trying to find him, couldn't find him. Um, and that was it for the year. I never saw him again, never saw a sign of him again, <sighs> never got pictures. The next year, 2012, never got pictures, never saw him. I figured the story of Six Shooter was done. Um, fast forward to 2013. The next year, it's New Year. I'm out turkey hunting in the spring, and I'm walking around looking for turkeys, and I stumble on an antler. <sighs> and I pick it up, and it's Six Shooter's shed Holy from, the year, from the year I'd been hunting him. Okay, so first it was a couple year, years, so, couple years so old. So it was his 2011 shed, and so I realized, well, he survived. He 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 didn't die that day because he lived long enough to yeah. drop his antler over here the next spring. So he's a lot, or he at least made it to 2012. I never saw him in 2012 though. So what happened to him? Well, 2013, I find a shed in the spring. I'm intrigued by this, but still, you know, I'm not counting on him still being alive now, a full year further than that, but. We get to August, I'm running cameras, and I get this buck that is like, he's this massive brow tine. He's got like a, kind of a big six-point frame. One brow tine's like 11 inches. Then he's kind of split on one of his G2s or 3s. Like, just funky. Like a big six, but like wonky. Like one side's really sure. different. And at first, like, man, that's a crazy cool buck. And then <laughs> I don't remember, I don't remember who like planted the idea in my head, but someone was like, dude, could that be six-shooter? Um, I don't know if it was a buddy or if I posted a picture online and someone, you know, commented that. But all of a sudden, when I looked at that, and I thought, well, what if this buck's injury kind of messed up his antler growth, and this could be him? And I, I start looking at it, and I look at the old pictures of six shooter, and I look at his shed, and I look at this deer, and I'm like, it's it's the same thing, just with a couple <laughs> funky things going on. And I realize he's like super mature. I'm like, this looks like a five year old buck, and he's got the same frame as six shooter. And, you know, I, I think this is him. And as the year progressed, he started going back and doing the same stuff that Six Shooter did two years ago. And what was interesting is that it was a, what I ended up thinking was the case, was that this was a crop rotation pattern. Mm-hmm. So he was here on a corn year, and then the soybean year, he was gone, somewhere else with better cover. Mm-hmm. And now it's a corn year again, and he's back. So mm. Six Shooter was back. Right. He's one of my he's like the buck i want to get after now the story continues like he came back from the dead like holyfield kind of thing but he actually came back from the dead (laughs) and um you know without getting too long-winded here had a bunch of cool encounters with him throughout the hunting season i actually missed him the first day of muzzleloader season um i don't even know if i ever told that i can't remember if that was i was so embarrassed and so upset about it that I, I think I might have like buried that part of the story because I was so <laughs> devastated, and I scoped myself on the miss too. So I, oh, I shot, oh, missed, oh, bleeding oh, down my face. Oh. Um, I mean, a typical Mark Kenyon hunting story, like a lot of adversity, a lot of mistakes, <laughs> um, but oh, endearing, man. but still endearing. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> and, uh, right, right. And then, uh, and then, like December sixteenth, I think I was like down in the dumps. I. Didn't think I was going to ever see that deer again. All the other bucks that had been around were gone. I was been hunting my tail off. Didn't really want to go out. And I was in my office at like 2.30 in the afternoon. And I told my wife earlier that day, I was like, I think I'm going to go. And then she comes in at 2.30 and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, ah, I'm just 
I'm not going to do it. Uh, I, I'm going to get some work done. I'm, I'm not going to go out tonight. And I don't remember exactly what she said, but basically she was like, you, you know, you wanted to go or, you know, like you thought it was a good day to go. Trust your gut. Just, just go. Like, wow. I know this has been a crappy season. You should just go do it. I'm like, I know you're right. I should. So I wow. had gotten permission. Good wife from, move right there. Good wife. Very move. good wife move. Yeah. And I'd gotten permission from an adjacent <laughs> landowner, not even adjacent, like a landowner on the other side of this block. Um, and they had said I could go hunt their stuff if I wanted in the late season. And I'd never hunted over there. And I'd wondered, like, where had all these deer gone? And so on this particular day, I'm like, you know what? Why don't we just try the other side of the square mile? Try this new place I picked up. Um, I don't know what's going on over there, but not much is moving on my side anymore. Maybe they all shifted over there. So I go to the spot. I sneak in. I creep and crawl to get to this back corner of this cut corn field. And... I ended up seeing him. He popped out with a bunch of other deer fed out into this field. And I couldn't believe it. Like he's here. He's still around. Then he goes back into the cover at like 10 minutes before dark. And I'm like, oh, he went the opposite direction. I'm not going to see him. Really great hunt. Great to know he's back. I can make a plan tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It's like the last minute or two of the day of daylight. Now I have to pee cold. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, I'm packing up, up and going. I, I lean my gun against a tree. I stand up. I start taking a pee. And I kid you not, guys, as I'm taking a pee, I see a deer step out like 40 yards in front of me. No. I'm like, that's a big bodied, that's a big bodied deer. And so I, I grab my gun while I'm peeing. I'm not joking. I'm still like doing my thing. I grab my gun. I pull it up, lean it up against a tree, look through the scope. And I think that's six shooter. And I, and I plugged it. <laughs> And that's the story of Six Shooter. Oh, man. Oh, I'm so glad I brought up Six Shooter. (laughs) That's great. That is the story. Shot him with my pants at half staff. Dude, that is amazing. Yeah. I've had a few bathroom related stories, I guess. (laughs) No, that is. Oh, we all have them in the stand, right? Yeah, in fact, yeah. one of the best trends I ever <laughs> I ever learned from your podcast was Dan Johnson uh, <laughs> introduced sky me to dumping. The, <laughs> sky dumping. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I just used that. Yeah. Yeah, I just used that yesterday with uh, with uh, a friend. I, I won't name him, but Alex, you know this friend well because he went bear hunting with us. He told me uh, he had. Oh, a, right. He told me he had a pretty crazy moment yesterday while he was running the combine on the family farm and i said so did you <laughs> did you sky dump off the combine <laughs> and uh i thought back to that episode when i uh, asked him that but no that is six year what an awesome story i'm so glad i asked that and uh i think my obsession uh, of of wanting to know about six shooter comes from um I, I just really want to kill a big six point buck sometime. I saw one a uh, couple years ago when I was hunting, like just post rut, you know, like that Thanksgiving time frame, And it was like one of those, those, you know, midnight cruising bucks, you know, it was like at five in the morning or something, you know, it was pitch black out. And he was like walking right up to the highway and this is just big giant six point, And it's like the, 
those are such cool deer, you know, for whatever reason, they only ever grow six yeah. tines and, and, uh, but turn to a mature buck, but man, what an awesome story there on, on six shooter. The, the, th- the drama of thinking he was dead, the finding his shed and, and then, uh, you know, even the, you know, talking about it with some of your hunting buddies and stuff yeah, that's, 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 a, that's a great story, Mark. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that. Well, yeah. as we, uh, shut this one down, guys, Mark, you're not hard to find, but where can first gen hunter listeners track you down to get more Mark Kenyon and Wired to Hunt content? Yeah, well, uh, the podcast is is anywhere you can listen to them, so definitely tune into the Wired to Hunt podcast. And as we talked about, there's, you know, Tony has a special kind of mini series that comes out on Tuesdays. Then Rut right. Fresh Radio is on yep. Wednesdays, and then my main show is on Thursdays. So there's there's a lot going on there. Mm-hmm. We've got a YouTube channel with a whole lot how to videos um the website if you go to com slash wired i think is the short uh, url now that'll take you to the wired to hunt section of our website awesome tons of deer hunting knowledge there from myself and tony and, and a whole bunch of other great deer hunters uh, who are better than me um and then the media to youtube channel has those other shows you mentioned so you'll be able to see deer country or back 40 or one week in november um, then I'm on all the social platforms at Wired to Hunt. Um, you can kind of see my day-to-day stories and updates and, and whatnot there as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely tune in. Uh, you, it's great content. Also, Wired to Hunt has like the coolest logo ever designed. That was another thing I was jealous of you over. It's like, Thanks. how did he think of that? That was, you know, like the whole broadhead into the antlers. Yeah, just genius, man. But uh, no, it's all great stuff. Mark, thank you again for coming on the show. More importantly, thank you for helping me learn how to hunt, man. Uh, that that uh, has been such a a huge part of my life now. My, my wife actually told me, uh, you know, since you started hunting, you became more interesting. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so I our, saved your marriage. Too. That's right. Our marital, wow, our marital, right. our marital bliss is a result of the, of the, uh, you know, the, the help you've given me through hunting. So, uh, pr- yeah. appreciate Appreciate it in all ways. And of course, you know, here on First Gen Hunter, if you're listening in and uh, you're new to hunting, uh, of course, this show hopefully is a primary source of great information to help you get into hunting and, and be a part of the hunting community and feel a sense of belonging there. Um, that's that's really so important. But also, uh, you can look to Wire to Hunt, just as I did, to find a lot of that great information that will uh help you find that success you know success can be measured in so many different ways but uh if you never fill a tag you know it can feel like man am i ever getting a return on investment here well wired to hunt will help you get to that point as it did for me many times so uh, be sure you tune in there give mark a follow on instagram of course and uh check out all their content at the meat eater Dot com. Uh, also, please remember our presenting sponsor, Spartan Forge. A lot of cool stuff going on there. Um, uh, there's a free version of the app you can get. Uh, you'll hear that in a, uh, the next episode, the little the little pregame pep talk in the next episode of the podcast um, that uh, will tell you how to get that free version. Then, of course, you can have a buy-in version, get a few more features on that. But Spartan Forge is that artificial intelligence deer behavior prediction app that can really better equip you as a first gen hunter. And then don't forget about Alex new domain. You got it back, right, Alex? That's right. Yeah. I, uh, I got two, so you can go to either one. You can go to alexgruen.com or you can 
can go to eastwesthunts.com. Yes. And uh, in doing so, you can get Alex's services for hunt planning tag application. Uh, just general advice, too. You can also do gear rentals. You can uh, uh, even get all the way up to a premium hunt plan that'll give you waypoints on where uh, you would be a good spot for you to set up shop, camp, find water find animals, uh, all that. So make sure you uh, head over to East to West Hunts or alexgruen.com. Use the promo code FIRSTGEN10. Save yourself 10% off of that service. And, uh, you know, what I always say, get going on that hunt of a lifetime plan that you've been putting on the back burner for so long well thank you to mark thank you to alex thank you to all of you listeners for tuning in and until next time take care and take someone hunting <laughs>